Welcome back to American PSYOP. Coming up, Wes and I will be joined by a very special guest named Desiree Kane. She is a journalist and activist who knew Wes at Standing Rock, has since reconnected with him, and we'll see how her story matches up with Wes's. But first, I'd like to hear how things have been going in Wes's life these days. And what's your occupation now? I work putting together renewable energy projects. So there's some solar fields, there's some wind turbine projects, and you kind of inch them along piece by piece. And I just generally don't socialize that much. And a lot of people will occasionally reach out. People, oh, you're going to get involved in this issue or you're going to do that. And I'm always like, no, because I can't trust anyone around me. I don't know who came into my life back then that's real or not real. But for the people who are real, you know, I'm sorry I lost my mind. I thought you were a great person, but I just couldn't trust anyone after, after going through that. For me, the hardest thing is I met so many of what I thought were great people at a time when I was in pretty serious emotional crisis. And I just wish I knew what was real and what wasn't real and who was real and who wasn't because like, when I look at people who I really don't think did anything to me, like Seven, like one of the funniest people I ever met, or Sadef, who's also a lot of fun, or Sully, who, who's a great guy, all these people. But, but one or more of the 50 people or so that are around me during that period weren't who they said they were. And I couldn't tell the difference. Seven and Sully also deny being involved in any operation against Wes. Producers see no reason to suspect otherwise. Sully and Wes have reconnected, and Sully's memories of Standing Rock match Wes's. Sadef declined to comment on the record for this podcast. And so it's like, I want to do something else in the world. I want to help. I want to help get through climate change. Because as we can all feel now, it's starting to really hit. How are you potentially susceptible today? Well... I'm even more susceptible after this podcast gets released because then people know all the touchstones that'll trigger me. Crap. <laughs> well, no, yeah, but, but here's the thing, but here's the thing. You, you, have to, you have to accept that because you're kind of looking for a bigger truth. And I'm the kind of person who always questions myself anyway. So I'm a little, a little bit inoculated to it now. Have they tried to reach out to you? In the past six months? Since then, not that I'm aware of. Are you still in therapy? No, I'm not. I've, I, haven't, I haven't had an episode. I haven't thought I was Enoch any time lately. And I feel good. My brain, though, isn't what it used to be. I feel like I'm in cognitive decline, but I'm not sure if that's just because now I'm in my 50s or there's something actually wrong with me. <laughs> with what like memory or memories and what's your relationship with your father like now i mean it's good he he wants to do something for the environment you know but he can't he doesn't have a, a ton of money he doesn't run a big business he doesn't do this stuff and you're up against a combination of regulations investment things and just the reality that Digging oil out of the ground and lighting it on fire is the cheapest way to generate electricity. And not placing blame on anyone, but it seems like a lot of the stuff that happened to you was a result of you being your father's son. Do you wish he had done more to protect you? I did. You know, I wish he'd have hired a private detective to figure out who was mind fucking me. But at the same time, I know there's not much he can do. Did you ask? I did, I think, at one point, but I think I was already pretty nuts by that point that I asked for help. So your father was also working as an advisor with the Blackstone Group starting in 2013 and started an overseas energy company for them. Did he tell you that while you were at Standing Rock, the Blackstone Group was negotiating a $5 billion stake in energy transfer partners, which owned the pipeline? No. Well, no, I'd never heard that. And when I worked with them, I was always relegated to the minor unpaying clients. Like I was never involved in any of the bigger business things he did. I think he might've gotten brought in as a consultant to open a door to someone overseas. 
Like, I don't think he's planning stuff or involved in the day-to-day or anything else. And I can't stop him from doing it. I mean, who am I? I'm just a guy who says the world's going to end unless we change. And did you know that while that didn't go through, Blackstone has since become a major investor in energy transfer partners? No. Because afterwards, I just, I haven't followed stuff. Like, do I know what people on Wall Street are going to do? They're going to put their money towards the thing that provides the highest profit every time. Every time. Unless there's a law or regulation against it, it's the way it is. It's why I'm so terrified for the future of our lives. I mean, how much behavior do any of us change just on climate? And what can you do as an individual? Really nothing. What, a different brand of paper fucking towel? That's not going to fix the problem. You know, that's to me the hardest thing when I look back at the people, who could I trust, who could I not trust? And you think, well, how could you trust these I am cult people? And you think, how can I trust the present system we live under? At least those people seem to be alarmed by climate change. I mean, it's really alarming stuff that's happening. And we continue through it as if it's all going to be okay. By the way, your wife is a straight writer. She, I feel like, has to be a big part of your transformation. Huge, huge. I mean, she is steady Eddie. She's just a very good person. You know, it's one of those people you meet in your life and they make you a better person by being with them. Do you feel like you have a renewed lease on life or does it feel not as exciting? as when it used to be. You mean when I was out of my mind? Mm-hmm. That was pretty exciting. But I prefer slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> and you've mentioned that as we've been doing these interviews over the summer of 2021, someone reached out to you who was going through a similar experience as what happened to you at Standing Rock. Th- there is, and I, I don't want to give a lot of details on it, like the protest movement or his past military, anything. But uh, when I spoke to him, he reached out to me on LinkedIn. He's like, hey, are you the guy that organized this, you know, veterans at Standing Rock thing? I'm like, yeah. Everything he was telling me set off like, like the things he was saying were things I would have said in November 2016. Like everything to include the whole getting the chills and goose flesh all the time when you're talking and planning things out, sleeping only like two or three hours a night, being able to talk to 150 different people a day on email and on the phone and push things forward on both a small scale and a large scale. But essentially, he was also mentioning Ascended Masters and everything else. I'm like, are you like, what's your number? And he had like two numbers he was obsessed with. And I was like, yeah, man, my number was 27. And it was like he was precisely where I was in November 2016. Was he, is he around the same age? No, he's younger than I am. Than you were in 2016. Hmm. He may be around the same age. Or give or take a couple years. So also a military vet around the same age as you. And involved in environmental stuff and just PTSD and... Some of it is the same cast from Standing Rock characters, and some of it's different. And Did you ask if he knew Remy or... No, I didn't even want to, because he's in the middle of this, and you're not going to fully listen to reason when you're in the middle of this. And I just said, listen, if you have a crisis, give me a call. Because when that feeling goes away that feeling of you can literally save the world and then it doesn't and then you can't operate for 20 hours a day and you can't converse with a thousand people a day and feel like there's progress being made and moving forward, it's crushing. And if it, what happened with, you know, me happens to him, then he's already being set up to be targeted, used, and then thrown out. Because unless you're in on the grift, you're just there to get people attention. 
And producers would like to note that since the start of this show's airing, they have received outreach from several parties claiming that something similar happened to them or someone they know. Now, believing that you're being targeted is a very common delusion, so as we expected, some of these claims did not seem credible. But one or two of them did, containing details that overlapped with Wes's experience, even in ways that did not appear in the podcast. Do you ever worry that you are still experiencing an untreated psychotic episode? Not very often. I mean, there's moments where my brain will do backflips, like when... I saw Desiree online. I was like, why is she there? Or when certain people will call me coincidentally within 24 hours of somebody else, my brain will go, why did that person call me just after this person did? And it's you're always there because you don't know when you'll be used again. Well, that's probably a good time to introduce Desiree. Hello, Desiree. Can we start off? Just tell us a little bit about your background and about yourself. Hello. Mijoksis. My name is Desiree Kane. I'm a Miwok Two Spirit, a journalist, and a content producer. It's taken me to places like the border. It's taken me to cover ICE detention facilities. It's taken me to cover different movement spaces as well. And because I'm an Indigenous person, that also includes coverage of issues that my communities are facing. So I am here today because of my experience, I think, at Standing Rock and the things that had transpired there. Why were you at Standing Rock? I was at Standing Rock. What happened around the disrespect of tribal sovereignty for the Standing Rock Sioux tribe, I found very offensive. And so I was out there in support of the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. Also because I'm white passing, it is extremely important that I remain in solidarity with people that don't have the privileges that I do. I was embedded there as a journalist. I volunteered doing other work in communication support while at the camp. So I'm the one that set up the media tent, worked with the local community to establish what the uh, media protocols were because Indigenous people's protocols are very complicated and often ill-traversed by media people. Camps existed for about nine months, give or take. I was there for almost eight. And how did you first meet Wes? He came to Standing Rock and as part of our like reception of the vet, Wes and his dude like knocked on the yurt door and it was him, this guy named like Sully. We've got I mean, there was like all these people around Wes. Would you have met him regardless if it wasn't for Remy? I don't even want to talk about Remy. I'm scared. And what was um, your first impression of him? What did he look like? Did he seem in good spirits? First impression of Wes Clark Jr. I was like, this guy, if he was in flannel, would look a little bit like the brawny paper towel man. He's so American. Or like, he looked like this, like, it's like, wow, like, are you the Marlboro man? I know you're a veteran. My first impression was just like, oh, he's one of the, like, kind of wealthy and or famous parents, kids trying to do a good thing. And sometimes that hits the mark. Sometimes it doesn't. And you really can't know until you see what people do. When you got there, your pressure levels, you started out good. Doing good. Nice to meet you, Wes. But when they really started with you, fast forward to the moments where, like, I'm losing parts of my bulletproof vest to protect you because you're taking off and you're talking about some psalms on thing on top of the hill. And you start quoting Bible verses, and everyone's like, "Where's Wes?" That you like had a meltdown. Later, we find out you believed your life was under threat, and rightfully so. You rightfully that was right. Right before I came into your tent, I was told by Mark Sanderson that I was about to be killed. So while that was happening, the conversation back at camp was Wes had a mental breakdown and he had to leave. 
It was circulated that he was having a breakdown. It was circulated that this guy's lost it. He's off the rails. He's probably in his hotel room. If he's even still here, he punked out. This was an op. Where's the money went? Spiral so, out of control, like wildfire across the Prairie Nights Casino floor. Well, I was definitely pretty broken down by the end of the sure not that it would be a week a week of not sleeping (laughs) and not eating breaks you down even without death threats after standing rock you and wes fell out of communication wes i would argue i stopped talking to wes i i blocked wes on all every psychic level included no 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 because you believed he was also an infiltrator or wasn't sure but yes no, I thought he was just straight on just doing the dirty deed of the bad people. Because when all this went down, I basically like went into recluse mode. Didn't talk to hardly anybody. There's something about Standing Rock. Same thing with Occupy. The public will defend their understanding of Standing Rock against the people who lived through it and were there. It's more important that they have this romanticized versions of Indians on the prairie than the realities that it was a research and development that for like really malignant technology, for example, psychological warfare. Did you get calls like with Remy calling Wes? Did anyone call you with information that maybe Wes was doing something to negatively put your name in the media or anywhere? Uh, yeah, dude. While Wes was under undue influence, which should be illegal at the levels he experienced it at, it was bull in the china shop city. Josh and Cindy weaponized Wes against me. And Wes was being triggered into all kinds of things by probably Josh and then fed right into Cindy's uh, radio show all amped up, which is how it works. This is a clip of Cindy talking to Wes about Desiree. But this Desiree may actually be the person that they're sending to put all this bull out there. Who the f- knows what it is? I'm sure it is. I'm sure that's who they're using for it. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, I can't trust Desiree. She's part of this, too. And, you know, and it was like, once you get spun up like that, it can take a long time to see reality again. Like a really long time. Like I was targeted in this media operation run where I'm called an informant to the media, but it's a level of snitch jacketing that became extremely dangerous. And I'm a member of the media. I'm not an informant to the media. And what she did resulted in a meth head that listened to Cindy's show, getting all spun up and chasing me with a gun to the point that I hid in a barn, praying not to become the next missing and murdered indigenous woman. I outsmarted a meth head. I know hard. Do we know where they are now? I cut all contact and blocked everybody after like 2018. I just couldn't take it anymore. My brain just couldn't take it anymore. Cindy is still active with her show. I got so many calls. What's going on? This guy, I told you he's an informant. I told you he's an infiltrator. Look at what he's doing. They were never able to provoke me into action against Wes in a public man. But I think because I had understanding at that point, like, I don't know what's going on, but I got to go. And because I made that move, everything quieted, mostly because I shut everybody out. I don't know who's doing what. Everybody's a question mark. And until I can make them not a question mark, they're going to say that. And for years, you felt that way? Or when did that stop? Uh, Yeah. When did you get clarity about who Wes is? I think my original read on Wes was accurate, which was that he was a good person trying. Wes's behaviors under heavy undue influence are different things. You know, there's a, a researcher and he accurately describes the encircling of people to control and manipulate them as a bear hug. And I believe that you can leave undue influential situations like that where you're getting bear hugged because I've left. So when did you guys so, reconnect? I think it was in February. Yeah, but I'm trying to figure out, do I want to say in this podcast that I had this conversation with Marley and Jack and I was like, fuck Wes Clark, fuck him, yeah, I and, hate him. And I sat down with the producers of this podcast probably in September 2020 and I'd mentioned to them like Desiree Kane, 
big suspect. I was convinced you were on the other side of it. Me too. Like, no, no, dude, you have to speak to her. <laughs> like, she's not yeah. on the other side. If you think about why would we be fitted apart when all this stuff with Michael Wood Jr. was going down and Michael took off with all the cash that time. In that moment, I actually was the one that wrote and released a press release, a statement in defense of West. That was like, West does not have this money. You need to go ask Michael Wood Jr. Did we ever find so, out what happened to the GoFundMe money? Yeah, he kept it all. He, he kept something like 350, somewhere between 350 and $450,000. And he used it to like pay rent on a place he was living at in LA. Meanwhile, hashtag where's the money West persists. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's the first thing like right wing trolls always, always, you know, throw out there. And it's like, no, I, I'm just money is like, I need enough money to live, but I'm not that, that person who will lie for money. Michael Wood Jr. declined to be interviewed for this podcast. Elsewhere, he has claimed that the Standing Rock money was spent appropriately. Yeah, um, I just, so I think that the reason that we were pitted apart was because I did see Wes, right? So Wes, the person trying, came to his defense in a public way, like, they're going to want to take away that ability out of the op against Wes. And then for you, Wes, when you heard Desiree's story, this was the first person you had talked to that kind of personally experienced something that you went through over the past. Yeah. And how did that feel? Was it? On the one hand, it was like felt like a huge weight lifted off me. But on the other, it's one of these things like, because we've spoken a couple of times since then, and each time, you know, I don't know about you, Desiree, but my brain starts to fall down that hole, even for like just a minute or two after the conversation or before the conversation. It's like, okay, I yeah. called. She didn't call me back today. Is she waiting for instructions? Like, I'm a little shaky giving this interview, like just central nervous system post-trauma jitters. Like, you know, you're, <laughs> you're, all, you're always kind of questioning. Other than Wes, have you met anyone that has similar experiences that you two had? All the time. Really? Yes. Wes is the most concentrated version of all of it. I am a diluted version and my experience has been terrible. So I think the deal with Wes, it's that I recognize like why how who what they're motivated i understand why the targeting occurred but i didn't understand it for myself until like actually kind of recently i think it's more what i hear from all the organizers still i'm not big enough to be doing anything worth this attention so i'm therefore somehow immune i have really said a couple of times in like late 2018 on my facebook someone's poaching leftist organizers Something's going on. I didn't have the words. I didn't know how to say it really uh, at the time because I was watching what was happening to my friends that were also organizers. I mean, I could generate probably a dozen examples of people all the way up into the New York Times where, like, they're activists and they're saying, like, the pressures of activism are leading me into feeling suicidal or like things like that. Famous example. What those pieces don't hit, though, is the cause. Talks about the symptoms. But at the time, again, I don't think that people really truly understand what undue influence is about, what active measures look like in everyday terms. Like these are two things that go hand in hand with the like things that destabilize democracy that need to be adequately, aggressively and appropriately addressed post-hate. So what part of Wes's story sounds very familiar to you and what you went through? Wes and what the story of Wes is a very salient example of multiple bear hugs, how and why they can harm people. And really the fact that he is still living and it's not 
say that. Part of the the side effects of this bear hug is you can't figure a way out. So you don't didn't want to get emotional in this interview. Um, but a lot of people kill themselves. So uh, that's what's familiar to me is that the bear hug puts you in a place where you lose it. You you lose it because no one is prepared for government grade propaganda for operatives for all that weaponized against civilians. No one. That's my deal. That's familiar. Is we survived. As I've been talking to Wes, I've asked him who he can pinpoint as being infiltrators or operators. And it's clear he struggles with trusting anybody. So it's been hard for him. So I'm curious for you, looking back, are there specific people that you know were operators and purposely infiltrating your life or Wes's? I had an understanding that infiltration of movements happened. But what I was looking for was federal operatives from the U.S. government. I thought they were the only adversary in addition to the corporate mercenaries. No, we had cultists with no nation state allegiance being weaponized by the alt-right infiltrating. Wes and myself were in a room with a whole bunch. Mickey Willis, I don't know whose operative he is. He's the producer of the fake news and hurtful documentary. I put documentary in air quotes called Plandemic. Mickey would have been in the room with Wes, myself, and a whole bunch of other organizers, along with cultists who were bear-hugging everybody. Did you know a lot of people in the I Am Cult before Standing Rock, or is it something you realized way after Standing Rock? I think you don't understand how dense it was at Standing Rock with I Am people. I was definitely bear-hugged by I Am and recruited all the way up until I left a place in Portugal that I was at. Occupy, totally infiltrated by IM. The same people that Mickey was with in Standing Rock were the same people that infiltrated Occupy. It's a woman, Lisa Clapier. Here's a clip of Mickey Willis and Lisa Clapier being interviewed in 2013 about a project they were working on together. She's right. They do a little bit of everything, but the one common denominator amongst everything is that it's beautiful, it tells the truth, and it's authentic. And that's who I know Mickey to be. Yeah, anyone who's listening out there who contributed to our campaign, all of our amazing community of friends, thank you so much for your support. It was really quite an amazing experience to watch the numbers climb in the 11th hour. And Lisa, of course, with a huge help. And The thing about IM is that they don't wear any real banners that say where I am, right? So it's extremely hard to discern who's part of I am in the first place. And the deal with I am, so there's this cult that goes back to like the 1930s in Wintu territory, Mount Shasta, California, where this guy had a vision of gold and emeralds and Mount Shasta fast forward many generations after of study of Barbara Mark Hubbard and some of her terrible ideas. Well, the New Age community has a propensity towards proto-fascism in some of their viewpoints. The I Am cult has long been associated with the far right. It found most of its original followers from the membership roles of an American Nazi organization called the Silver Shirts. And one of IAM's early leaders, Robert Lefebvre, would go on to become an important figure in the early libertarian movement. Lefebvre also became a personal and ideological mentor to young Charles Koch, future Republican megadonor and fossil fuel billionaire. The Senate Intelligence Committee report started coming out, then the Mueller investigation, then another Senate Intelligence Committee report about Russian use of social media to influence the 2016 election. And I'm like, Oh, fuck. Was it more the idea of the infiltration or were there people's names that you were recognized? 
So I had been approached and warned about a lady named Cassandra Fairbanks who was like trying to be friends with me when I got pepper sprayed because I was covering the front line of the COP21 in Paris. I think I put two and two together when Cassandra Fairbanks came up and I was like, I remember that lady. And Cassandra Fairbanks was cited in the Senate Intelligence Committee report on Russian intervention in the 2016 election as a journalist working for a Russian state-sponsored news outlet, Sputnik. The report said she had communicated over 80 times with Guccifer 2.0, the Russian state-sponsored group which had hacked the DNC. She was also accused in a related lawsuit of being an agent for Roger Stone, Donald Trump's first campaign manager, and just a notorious political dirty trickster, who was successfully prosecuted in connection with Robert Mueller's investigation into Russia's attack on the 2016 election. Fairbanks also got some attention in 2016 for being a Bernie Sanders supporter who very vocally switched to Trump. She has also made claims of being attacked by Antifa, which, after reading the Washington Police Department's reports, appear highly fabricated. Despite this, Fairbanks accepted over $24,000 from a crowdsourced fundraiser made purportedly to protect her from Antifa. She has written for outlets that promote QAnon, and like Josh, Fairbanks has also claimed to have been part of the hacker group Anonymous. And then I read about Brandon Darby. Oh, crap. And Brandon Darby was someone who, according to the New York Times and Mother Jones, had infiltrated an activist group on behalf of the FBI, pushing those organizations to be way more aggressive and violent and leading to the arrest of the organizers he was working with. Darby went on to write for Steve Bannon's outlet, Breitbart, and became a close associate of Cassandra Fairbanks. And then here are all these Bernie bros going on Trump, I was starting to kind of get it. So after the Mueller investigation, I had a lot of the pieces. So I think about how there's a guy named Jason Sullivan. He's a Roger Stone kind of sketchy character. Jason Sullivan is a Roger Stone operative who was subpoenaed in the Mueller investigation and who has spoken on stage at pro-QAnon conferences. Jason Sullivan, not long ago, one of my friends is like, you kind of know who's two of the, oh, right, right. And I'm like, I hate that you know that about me, but yes. Oh, you know, this guy, Jason Sullivan, he came into our meeting and totally diverted everything into this terrible argument about D.C. statehood and sovereignty. Of it. And I just, I don't know what's going on, but something didn't feel good at all. And I was just like, okay, stop. Everybody that was in there that had their real name on their Zoom is hereby on a list that you all need to have your P's and Q's dotted. Immediately, everybody, two-factor identification on all of you, like, because you're now targeted and you know it. If they're coming into your national organizing meeting, causing disarray, and we know who that is and what he does, this is a dangerous scenario you're in, you have to lock down, batten the hatches, really ramp up your security on your online stuff, make sure your public records aren't out there, like get ahead of it. Okay. So at this point, it's important to know what QAnon is. QAnon is a false pro-Trump conspiracy theory that popped up on 4chan in October, 2017, when an anonymous account started posting that he had classified intelligence that Trump had entrusted him to leak. The cryptic posts describe a good versus evil war being waged between Donald Trump and Democrats in the deep state who are secretly devil-worshipping cannibalistic pedophiles. The QAnon posts promised followers that they were on the verge of what they called the Great Awakening and that soon, in fact any day, Donald Trump was going to have Hillary Clinton and the entire cabal of Democrats arrested in a massive sweep, which obviously never came. While Early coverage of QAnon seemed to imply it simply sprang up organically. As evidence piled up, it appeared more and more to be an operation conducted by those close to the Trump administration, including Roger Stone and Michael Flynn, and heavily amplified by Russian intelligence. Also implicated in the operation were a group of former intelligence officers and a gang of online trolls. This network included Lise Clapier, who has long promoted her belief in the IAM movement. While QAnon purported to be an information operation, giving its followers special access to secret information, 
The posts were actually filled with predictions that never came to be, were self-contradictory and often fantastical narratives. In reality, QAnon was more likely a psychological operation or a PSYOP, the purpose of which is not to inform, but rather to manipulate. The operation appears to have relied less on the quality of the posts and more on the recruited network of YouTubers, trolls, cultists, conspiracy outlets, and foreign state actors who would amplify the messaging. This network of amplifiers kicked into action almost immediately after the first Q post. Within days of its first appearance, QAnon was the most highly promoted hashtag on Twitter by Russian state-backed accounts and was being heavily promoted by many of the same networks that had pushed similar disinformation, such as Pizzagate, against the Clinton campaign in 2016. The purpose of the operation, we believe, was to create an outlet that could push disinformation without having to rely on the mainstream media. Basically, WikiLeaks, but for lies. The purpose of these lies seemed twofold. First, to radicalize the American population, and second, to get potential voters who were suspicious of the government to support the Trump administration and re-election, which could explain why the posts ended shortly after the 2020 election. When Trump failed to win re-election, the influencers turned their supporters toward a violent overthrow of the American government, leading to the events of January 6th. With a lot of the people that were involved in QAnon, their names have come out and articles have been written of them. Which names sparked a bell for you that you were like, that guy was part of Standing Rock? QAnon has like a thousand tentacles ranging from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. conspiracies. That's how we got pizza. There's just a whole bunch of things. That is now QAnon. We have I think Mickey Willis, part of QAnon, whether he will admit it or not, but he's one of their primary mouthpieces or one leg of their fake news. And Mickey Willis co-hosted an event with Roger Stone in D.C. on January 6th and was himself filmed entering the Capitol that day. It's also important to note Roger Stone, a Republican operative, notorious dirty trickster and longtime Trump ally, has also been closely tied to the QAnon operation. He has indirectly aided it by getting his close associate, Jerome Corsi, a job at the conspiracy site InfoWars. From that position, Corsi became the first QAnon pusher with a massive and receptive audience. Without Corsi and other QAnon influencers pushing the posts, QAnon would have likely gone unnoticed. But Stone has helped the pro-Trump PSYOP in more direct ways too. When QAnon posts first appeared in October 2017, they were posted on a site called 4chan. Soon, though, 4chan was seen as insecure, and the operation had to be moved to a new site named 8chan, which had a different owner. The switch from one platform to another presented a challenge to the people behind QAnon, because how do you convince your audience that two anonymous posters on two different sites are the same person? One way would be to have Roger Stone ask an original QAnon YouTuber, Jordan Sather, to validate that both posters were the same person in an interview. It should be noted that this exchange took place in 2017, a little over a month after the first Q drop, and long before most Americans had ever heard of it. Take it away, Jordan. So, there's been a huge infestation of trolls on the 4chan, so much so that some of these posts have migrated onto a sister site a sister site that's not affiliated with 4chan, it's called 8chan. But anyway, these, these posts are still being made on this 8chan by, you know, this Q person. Jordan Sather, who has appeared several times on the network Gaia, also seems to push the beliefs of the I Am Cult. And in this video, what I'm going to do is talk to you about probably what is the most important concept to talk about, period, and that is ascension. To bring things full circle, Jordan Sather, called former CIA officer and early QAnon pusher Robert David Steele, his main inspiration. Steele appeared on his YouTube show several times in the lead up to QAnon pushing narratives that would later become core parts of the conspiracy. If you recall back in episode four, we played a clip where Nora Maccabee describes her painting called Metatron's Cube. In that clip, the man she is speaking to is her friend and patron, the very same Robert David Steele. There's an article in the Financial Times that names this woman Lisa Clapier. She's founded Occupy as well, across Occupy to the UN and like all these other weird things she placed herself in the studio, to Standing Rock, 
blah, 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 QAnon at or near the nucleus. Lisa Clapier has also made appearances on The Young Turks, where she has pushed narratives in line with Russian propaganda. So when an issue comes up like this, I go straight to the source and I spent an hour talking to somebody from Russia this morning who's a friend and I know him and, um, and Crimea is Russian. And my own past reporting has led me to Lisa Clapier. In 2020, I wrote an article connecting a man named Thomas Schoenberger to QAnon. Thomas, who goes by the moniker St. Germain and has pushed I Am Cult-related content, has worked with Lisa for over 10 years. Remember how back in episode four, we talked about how James Martinez, the guy who brought Wes into Standing Rock, started a media company called The People's Voice TV in 2013 with David Icke, the soccer coach turned conspiracy theorist. Well, as it turns out, they hired Lisa Clapier as James Martinez's producer for that project. Um, and Lisa, actually, my producer here, Clapier, um, is in these books. Right after I met you, this book was sent to me, and I'm reading through the book, and it goes into how um, Occupy Wall Street, all those millions of people watched that. And I'm looking through, and, I, and I'm like, I called my friend. I was like, I just met this woman, and she just did all this stuff. It's right in the book, and explaining everything. We should note this is from the same 2013 speech in which James Martinez mentioned working with Sean Stone and David Icke. And James Martinez has a history of using the narratives and language that would later appear in QAnon. This is James Martinez from a 2016 interview a year before the first appearance of QAnon. This is, this is part of the news cycle. This is part of the news cycle where everybody, the, the great awakening uh, is underway. I'm talking about all the Satanism and Luciferianism, all the banking cartels are involved in, and all that whole mess. Now, it's amazing to me and why people can't understand it. And since QAnon began, Martinez has openly pushed it. This is from a 2021 interview with James Martinez and Sean Stone, who declined to be interviewed for this podcast. Part of the awakening process is to realize that we're part of the Godhead. But to, to, to be in the Godhead means you have to understand that you're the ultimate creator, you're eternal, and uh, everything in your universe you put there, we are have to take uh, our sovereignty back. I had heard the reptilians fed on blood, you know, and I always suspected there was a vampiric or demonic component to a lot of the ritual. But then obviously when people come out with adrenochrome in the recent years, and then they say this is all like, oh, this is, you know, some Q fantasy. I just was curious what, in terms of the research that you guys did pre-2010, <laughs> really before the internet, what you came across as far as blood drinking rituals. Uh, he was saying that there were the blood harnesses sexuality. Strangely, in 2016, Martinez also claimed a connection to the Trump campaign, but we should note it is the opinion of this network that many, if not most, of Martinez's claims should be considered, at minimum, highly suspect. I had six minutes allocated with Trump uh, prior to the election. If he really wants to become the leader that we all hope he can be or could be, then he's going to have to um, do the noble thing and the righteous thing and follow the nationalistic uh, ideals that he's um, uh, spoken about um, for a long period of time. And then Wes mentioned someone with a face tattoo who was there. Oh, yeah, Tyler. Yeah, so he would have been over at Sacred Stone Camp. I had heard that Tyler was for some time in control of an early QAnon influencer Twitter account known as Real I the Spy. I do have the I the Spy thing. I, I, that's a whole other like strain of critters. Here is a clip that Tyler, the guy with the face tattoo, posted on a Twitter account allegedly given to him by Thomas Schoenberger, a close associate of Lisa Clapier and another person believed to be tied to the QAnon operation. In it, he confronts Jordan Sather for trying to profit off the QAnon movement. This video is addressed to the Q Pharisees, especially you, Jordan Sather. I live in a trailer. You don't see me running out making a bunch of fucking money doing this. Everything I do is for free. You can ask any one of my followers, Jordan, you promote your stupid health products constantly. You promote your stupid YouTube constantly. Do you ever give anything back? Tyler would also use this account to post a picture of him and Jim Watkins, the owner of the website the QAnon post moved to after 4chan proved insecure. Did you have any 
contact or communication with Sean Stone? Sean Stone says he didn't go out to Standing Rock, but was spotted during the occupation at Standing Rock. And then secondly, showed up at Standing Rock Film Festival after the fact. And Sean Stone has been closely tied to people long suspected of being behind QAnon. He's also promoted the QAnon conspiracy and in one interview seemed to suggest that he might have been involved in the posts known as Q-drops. The reason that we've done these Q-drops and Trump has been in office and all these things were brought in really by a patriotic faction. It's always been Trump, you know, he was between us and the deep state in a sense, right? Sean Stone was part of how West got bear hugging. Right. So he didn't bear hug you? No. All the dudes in Circle Bless, because Wes is like a man's man. The people who would have bear hugged me, sadly, are the like, kind of woo woo, like the women's side, like the psychics that wanted to do cord cutting with crystals and the, that. Since 2018, another important character in the world of QAnon, Michael Flynn, Trump's former national security advisor, has seemingly endorsed and pushed the conspiracy theory, signing books with Q slogans. Michael Flynn also had a large part in spreading the lie that the 2020 election was stolen and helped to strategize Trump's attempt to overturn the election. He also gave an incendiary speech in DC the night before the insurrection. As of October 2021, Michael Flynn is scheduled to co-host a QAnon event with none other than Mickey Willis. Mike Flynn has also mentioned he is working with Sean Stone. We're very excited about Sean Stone joining us in uh, in, in uh, South Carolina. Can't can't wait, and I really look forward to, to seeing and hearing some of the stuff that I know that I've seen him already produce. He also seems to have embraced the I Am Cult. To illustrate this, we're going to play two clips. The woman's voice belongs to Elizabeth Clare Prophet, leader of the I Am Splinter Group, the Church Universal Triumphant, and is from a 1984 sermon. The man's voice is Michael Flynn from 2021. Mighty I Am Presence, I am here, O God, and I am the instrument of those sevenfold rays and archangels. We are your instrument of those sevenfold rays and all your archangels. And I will not retreat. I will take my stand. We will not retreat. We will stand our ground. I will not fear to speak, and I will be the instrument of God's will, whatever it is. We will not fear to speak. We will be the instrument of your will, whatever it is. Here I am, so help me God, in the name of Archangel Michael and his legions, I am Freeborn, and I shall remain freeborn. In your name, and the name of your legions, we are freeborn, and we shall remain freeborn. And I shall not be enslaved by any foe within or without. And we shall not be enslaved by any foe within or without. So help me God. I just, I think that's why, you know, it's important that we have these kind of open conversations because ultimately we are in an existential threat moment with a rising level of fascism. And I don't say that just like casually. We have to course correct as the United States. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. So Wes. To close it out, I just have a couple more questions. You mentioned that you weren't sure if this, me interviewing you, was an op. And after hearing your story, I think the audience can probably sympathize with that, (laughs) especially because you first met the producers of this show, Jack and Marley, through Nora. And Nora introduced you to so many of the people involved in your Standing Rock experience. Now that we've talked all this through, do you feel a little more confident that this isn't just part of an operation? Yes, I do. Oh, that's so nice to hear. I do. No, it, it doesn't even it doesn't even cross my mind. And what are you hoping a podcast like this can achieve with people hearing your story? Well, I think people need to understand, first of all, people that get into activism do it generally for all the right reasons. And getting paid is not one of them. It's a kind of mission comes first. 
but that it's also very, very difficult to do that because if you come in and you really mean it, there's an entire architecture out there to subvert you, subvert your organization, and essentially destroy you. But on a certain level, it's also, it's about our freedom and our democracy. Because as you've seen in the headlines in the last couple months, these kind of ops are taking place and infiltration is taking place of mainstream political parties. And so how can we have free elections and freedom of speech when certain organizations, essentially the very wealthy or oil companies, can fund infiltrators and fakers to go in and destroy organizations and free associations of people? How can we win, or much less win, how can we survive climate change when we are dealing with people deceiving us and destroying any organizations that can come about to try and slow it down? You know, and part of it, I'm sure, was the injury to my brain. But part of it is just recognizing the reality of what's happening in our world. Like, most of us, we go through life day to day and we continue working, right? We pay the bills, we go shopping, we cook meals, you fall in love, you, you do your day to day life. And sometimes you're outside yourself and you think about something bigger like, oh, dude, there's too much carbon in the atmosphere and that's going to cause the extinction of the human race. And once you understand how real it is and how close it is and how little humans are doing to stop it, I mean, who's really crazy? American PSYOP is a Bunker Crew media production in collaboration with Midas Touch. It was edited and directed by Jack Bryan. Our producers are Stacey Scher, Marley Clements, and Jack Bryan. Executive producers are Ben Mysalis and Grant D. Simone. Sound design by Joy Ellett. I'm your co-host, Emily Bix. Special thanks to Desiree Kane for appearing in this episode. Special thanks to Manoe Clements, Izzy Strigel, Sarah Metz, and Hampton Stevens for their assistance. We'd also like to thank all of our sources and the broader research community investigating online disinformation. Special thanks to Jim Stewartson, who found the Flynn, Elizabeth Clare profit comparison and the clip of Sean Stone talking about Trump in the deep state. Thanks to Arthur Tofayevsky for finding the Young Turks clip of Lisa Clapier. The opening and closing tune is Scare Easy by the Spirit League. This has been American PSYOP. I hope you've enjoyed the ride.